Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey folks, Eddie Trunk, welcome to another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And thank you for tuning in, thank you for subscribing, downloading, streaming, listening every Thursday when we put the new ones up. It is greatly appreciated. Free as always via podcastone.com, Apple Podcast, and of course, also free via Spotify. However you listen, thank you for doing so, and we thank Goodies Hangover it's the holidays. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to this on the day it posts, it is Christmas Eve. So a merry, merry Christmas to all around the world. And you know the holidays, sometimes everybody overindulges just a little bit. Well, if that's you, you need to have some goodies hangover on hand. Goodies hangover, powerful pain reliever, boosting ingredient, give you the fast pain relief and a boosting Boost of alertness that'll help you battle the groggy. The uh, groggy. <laughs> I sound like I need some, right? The groggy, tired feeling that comes with a hangover. It is hangover relief at the speed of powder, and it's available at Walmart, Dollar General, Amazon, and other fine retailers. More info at goodiespowder.com. So here we are, folks, in the heart of Christmas time and the holiday season. On the back end of a year that has been just, well, in my 56 years on the planet, the worst I can remember on many, many levels. And I think we all, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at on things, I think uh, we could all pretty much say we hope for a much better 2021. Uh, Let's hope that we get past this virus. Let's hope that we get... Concerts going again, the economy going again, things open again, this vaccine works for everybody, and that we get on the other side of this madness that is a a year unlike any of us have ever experienced, and we certainly hope we don't experience again. That being said, you know, you can't help but to feel good and optimistic this time of year, and with the holidays here, I hope everybody has a safe and healthy Christmas and New Year's. Of course, I will be here 
next Thursday for another all new podcast. And that will be uh, the final one of 2020 coming your way on New Year's Eve. But here on this Christmas Eve podcast, we have a, a great one for you. And as I always have to remind you, the interviews you hear on this podcast come from my Sirius XM radio show. That's where they originated and first aired and aired live on volume Sirius XM channel 106. And the show is Trunk Nation heard there Monday through Friday, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern with nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern. So, hey, maybe we got some people who got Sirius XM subscriptions for the holidays. Be sure to check out the show each and every day. You're only getting a tiny fraction here on the podcast of what I do on a daily basis on volume. The interview this week is with Joe Bonamassa, a a guy that shouldn't need an introduction, but as his documentary accurately says, even though he is one of the most celebrated and acclaimed guitar players on the planet, there are still people that don't know who he is. And if you are one of those people, or if you are a fan, you should absolutely check out a fantastic documentary that is out now called Guitar Man on Joe Bonamassa's story and his uh, whole career. And it's a fantastic, well-done documentary that I think you absolutely will enjoy if you have the ch- a chance to see it and if you watch it. I'm not sure. I think it's one of those pay-per-view deals. Eventually, I'm sure it'll pop up on you know Netflix or something like that. But it is, I believe it's a rental deal right now. But it's worth whatever they're charging because it's really, really good. I'm telling you, it's really good. And uh, Joe, I have a lot of respect for Joe. I've gotten to know him over the years. I got to know him really well when he first started up Black Country Communion with Glenn Hughes, Jason Bonham, and Derek Sherinian, something more in the hard rock space. But I really have a lot of appreciation and respect for his own music and what he has done and how he has built his career and how he gives back to the music he loves, which is blues-based rock and various foundations and things that he's done to help people out in that world as well. Just a, you know, an amazing talent, a great guy, and he's just a massively successful artist around the world and has done so without really having you know, a typical hit single, if you will. He's done it in a very unique DIY way, and uh, it's just incredible. So get the documentary. You, you'll love it. It's called Guitar Man, and the interview you're about to hear is uh, a discussion about that documentary with Joe. So that's what we we cover in the uh, in the interview coming up. A lot about his career and the documentary. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. At Eddie Trunk on Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. And also, I'm on Cameo if you're interested in a video. And thanks to those who have ordered personalized videos as gifts around the holidays. I do appreciate that. So let's get to the interview. It's a good one. I think you're going to love it. Again, a very Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you enjoy the holidays. They're safe and healthy with you and your families. Uh, Check out the radio show. I've got a few live ones throughout now and the end of the year. And then there's a few best ofs in there as well as I get a little time off. But uh, new podcast every Thursday. You know the deal by now. And this week, it's a great one with Joe Bonamassa. It's coming up next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey folks, support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? We all do these days, that's for sure. Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yep, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV, and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Hey, this is JJ French. Through five decades in the music industry, having sold over 20 million records, performed over 9,000 shows, and receiving 37 gold and platinum albums as a musician, manager, and record producer. I'm also an author, motivational speaker, marathon runner, inducted into the Long Island Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, guitar collector, and a founding member of a little band you may have heard of called Twisted Sister. Now I'm ready to share the secrets of my survival in one of the most vicious and predatory businesses on earth, the music business. In my new podcast, The French Connection, the music business and beyond on podcast one get ready to hear real inside stories from me and my famous guests as they tell you how it's really done not just in the music industry either i guarantee that you will always learn something unexpected from successful survivors from many walks of life that's the beyond part that i'm so excited about don't miss the french connection the music business and beyond with me jj french tuesdays on podcast one spotify and apple podcasts this is the eddie trunk podcast Okay, let's get to the interview this week. It's with Joe Bonamassa, and we get into a lot of talk about his career centered around the brand new documentary, Guitar Man. Here's Joe. He had me on his show, which was quite an honor, on Nerdville, uh, which I'm assuming you can probably still see online as well. We had a great conversation with a little role reversal, but this time we put the chairs back in the the way they're supposed to be. <laughs> right. Because, uh, well, not to say, Joe, you're not to say you're not a fantastic host and interviewer, but I can't play guitar at all. So I'm more comfortable on this side. You know, you've got well, multi talents. Yeah. I'm not a broadcaster. I just play one on TV. And thank you for being on live from Nerdville. It was, it was a great conversation. And, you know, I've just been trying to like ask people on that are passionate about everything, not just music. You know, because it's it's we all kind of share the same passion, whether we play guitar, whether we're broadcasting to fans, you know, there's a there's a binder there. Yeah. How many have you done of those so far? I've done about 30. Um, I just interviewed um, Daryl Hall from Hall and Oates. So I have both Hall and Oates, but not at the same time. (laughs) Um, I interviewed John Mayall. Uh, Paul Stanley. I interviewed, um, you know, S.E. Cup from CNN, the journalist. Um, we, I, I'm about to interview Steve Lukather and blues legend, uh, uh, Bobby Rush next week. So we're kind of banking them and it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a fun thing for the fans. And, you know, I mean, once I go back to being the guy in the suit, the, the show will be, um, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll start winding the show down, you know, like, you know, two seasons and I'm out. So this is more of a, a product of the pandemic. It's a 100% a product of the pandemic. <laughs> and, and anybody who has gone into broadcasting in the last eight or nine months and says, no, no, my true passion is I, I want to be behind the microphone. I want to ask the hard questions are lying to you, Eddie. 
lying to you. <laughs> they, they just want to be on stage, you know? And this is yeah. kind of a, a 2D, two-dimensional stage, so to speak. You know, you bring something up when you said the suit comes back in, and that's a good way to jump into a conversation about Guitar Man, which is this fantastic documentary. Uh, everybody knows how much I love docs to begin with, All any documentary, and obviously if it's music, even better, and if it's music I like, even better than that, and the one that Joe has coming out on his story is it checks all the boxes. It's, it's fantastic, but one of the themes of the documentary is they talk about you almost having an alter ego, that when you put that suit on and, and that guitar on, you basically shift into a whole other persona and person. Is that something you're cognizant of or that you think other people around you feel? I think, you know, it's one of the one of the things I've always had this 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 ability to do is is separate the two characters. The guy who goes on the stage has all the bravado, all the confidence in the world. I just happen to know that if I have a guitar and an amplifier that's working and, and a couple of decent songs, I, I can go out and entertain people because generally I'm I consider myself an entertainer, not just a guitar player. And, you know, when I put the suit and sunglasses on, it's a different, it's a different character, you know, and, and it's still an extension of me. So I'm not method acting, but it, but it, there's a different confidence. And yeah, I mean, Freud would have a field day with me. It's like, what are you really hiding from? So what do, why, why are you afraid to reveal your real self? And then when I'm done with the show, uh, this is it. I mean, we're videoing this interview, but, but you know, I, I, wear, I wear a free T-shirt. This was from the Bluebird Cafe, a hat that I got from Oceanway Studios, and, and, and some sunglasses. You know, and ultimately, what I wanted to show in the movie, and, and Kevin Shirley did a wonderful job putting it together, and so did Paramount Pictures and everybody, um, was the, the, there is a, another side to a lot of your favorite musicians and, 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 and comedians and actors. It, it's not just what you see presented in the, in, you know, in, in the world. And, you know, there's people that you're riddled with self-doubt. You have your goals, you have your fears, you know, and, and ho hopefully all of that is addressed in the movie. You know, you, you, and that that harkens back to something you you just referenced this guy a second ago when you mentioned you had Paul Stanley on Nerdville. And I saw that and I grew up, as many people know, a huge Kiss fan. And Paul was actually always my favorite member uh, growing up. Ironically, he doesn't talk to me. He's the one guy that doesn't talk to me from the van. But I grew up being a huge fan and I still am on, on most fronts. But the funny thing about that is he... You're, you're, that's a great example of what you just talked about because anybody that knows him knows that off stage he's a reserved, sensitive, shy guy, and he puts on his outfit and the kiss colors and the the leather and the makeup, and he's the ultimate rock star. You couldn't have a guy that's more flamboyant and and out there. So there are a lot of instances where there's you know there's a when you take that stage and put that guitar on. The, the the person morphs into a whole other identity, sort of. It and they do, and 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 we've all been in this situation. I I'm I'm coming to you today from Nashville, Tennessee, and I see this a little bit here in the, in, in Nashville in the last I'd say five or six years, and certainly in Los Angeles where I live as well. And you know, you ever walk into like a Seven Eleven and you see like your 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 favorite, you know, like somebody you know from the music business, you know, like a famous musician. And they're dressed for the gig. And I'm like, man, you're just getting Cheetos. 
you know, you, that's a lot of work to get Cheetos in a Mountain Dew. You know, it, it, you, you know what I mean? It's like you're like, and and the ones that feel they need to keep that up. I'm not sure why, but you know, and again, it's it's everybody has their identity, right? Um, I've never been that person. I I, I I didn't get into this to be famous. I I got into this because I just like playing guitar, and this was a natural extension of of just sitting at, at my you know my bedroom playing, you know. No, but you're a hundred percent right because the counter to that is true. Where I have been in places, and I've seen people, and I'm like. Man, that must be so much work to keep that look twenty four seven. Where yeah. you're just gonna get a loaf of bread and you gotta have the eyeliner and the wig and the rings and the whole thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just it's hard to fathom. It really is. Yeah, I have a hard enough time remembering my mask. You know, walking out right. the walking out the front door. I always have them in all my pockets, and I'm paranoid that I'll forget it. And you know, and it's you know one of the things about the movie that. Um, when I first saw the first cut of it and I watched it in Australia at Kevin's studio and Kevin Shirley we're referring to and your producer and great. We should just tell people don't know the industry. Kevin is when you watch the documentary, you'll see very much, uh, you know, Joe's guy in terms of music and producing the records. And Kevin's done a ton of other stuff. As a matter of fact, after I watched the doc, I emailed Kevin as well after I texted you and just said how much yeah. I enjoyed it because you could see he was really involved in it. But I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to let people know who Kevin yeah. was in case they didn't know. And Kevin is the like, you know, the, the way I, I describe Kevin is like the relationship Tom Dowd had with the Ullman brothers is the relationship I have with Kevin Shirley. He's like, we, we, we go back a long time. And the first time I watched the movie, I had this kind of very deadpan drawn look on my face. And he's like, you hate it. I'm like, actually, no, Kevin, I, I actually I actually love it. What you were able to do was elicit emotions from me because I lived all of that, you know. And the, one of the reasons why I never watch my DVDs back, I always watch it once and then I'm done. So I was like, I was there. I did it. I know. I remember Radio City Music Hall. I remember, you know, whatever. And I was like, wow, when you when you lay it all out and you talk about it in terms of a 31 year run, it, I was like, wow, this was. The, the deck was kind of stacked against me. You know, I've, I've enjoyed a great amount of success in the last 12 years. But when you look about it, and I, I was remembering those times when I used to drive the van, I was my own tour manager. You know, I used to call up, you know, under the alias John Carson. I'm the John, you know, don't call me Johnny. You know, and I, and I was like, literally, I had this whole thing down where I was the driver, the tour manager, everything. And and I learned all the jobs and I was like, wow, that, that this has been a really surreal run you know that you kind of forget it when you're like living in the moment and you know fixating on on other stuff so was it kevin's i I know kevin is a producer on this and he's he's featured throughout the film but where did the idea come from to do a documentary on on your career to this point because as i mentioned before you came on you're still relatively young i mean you're right at the in the heart of your career right now so there could be volume two or three of this very easily down the line but how did it come to be that the timing was right did he and how did he approach you about uh, doing a doc we started about three and a half years ago talking about it and one of the things that um 
we we've always been asked is like you guys have an interesting business model the vertical integration we promote ourselves you know like we we do all our own promotion merchandise we do our own concerts we do our own records and a lot of people have just you know and when i say a lot of people i'm saying about a hundred okay over the years have just said hey you should write a book about it or do a documentary and it kind of planted the seed and when we first started talking about it, I'm like, I'm like, Kevin, does, is there really a story here? Is, 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 or is it just like work, 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 did well, work, 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 you know? And he goes, no, I think there's a story. So, you know, we went back and, you know, kind of went down memory lane. And, you know, I mean, I forget I was on the Mickey Mouse Club when I was a kid, you know, and like all this weird stuff that you're, you're I was kind of in these brackish waters of, showbiz kid but wanted to play blues was in a band was signed to a major label lived in a little town in upstate new york had no idea what we were doing and there was the i mean if you really had to bet on somebody to kind of get through the 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 fray and you know make it out you i would be the i would have been the best payoff because the odds against me were pretty pretty stacked you know i didn't sing very well still don't you know and 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 it's and it's one of those things that Kevin was able to kind of cherry pick events that made a story that, that really, you know, made sense. And, and hopefully is inspiring to people right now sitting at their house is going, you know what, if that idiot can make it, I can. And that's what I've always said in my, my life. I can do it. You can. It's, it's not, it's not rocket science. It just takes work and, and some, a little belief in yourself and some determination. Yeah. And for people, and I've talked to you about this before, but for people that don't know that story, it is to some degree detailed in the movie, but I mean, you started extraordinarily young and, and started playing and you got on a couple TV shows and BB King, you, you opened for, and that's discussed in the, in the film as well. You had the band bloodline, didn't really go anywhere, signed to that couple things I didn't know about you and watching the documentary. I did not know that for a brief time you were signed to, was it Epic? And I also didn't know that Steven Van Zant was at one point involved in your maturation and your, 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 your growing as an artist and actually worked with you, I guess, producing some stuff. Yeah. We, we, when I was like 18, um, 19 years old and we would, we would drive down from Utica, New York to play Kenny Gorka's bitter end. And, and he showed up to one of the gigs and it was on a recommendation from, I believe it was Phil Ramone, the late, great Phil Ramone. And who was a, always been a, it was always a friend of mine and, and helped me out. And he's like, let's try something. And we were we never really got together on the direction, but I was also a very, very young, newly, you know, anointed solo artist who didn't know what he wanted. Like the, 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 I always say the worst decisions in life is indecision. It's like you either like, you want something, you want A or B. If you're like in between, it's going to be very difficult. And unfortunately, Stephen inherited a very, uh, like indecisive version of myself. But you're like, you're like 17, 18 years old. You don't really know. You know, you're not, you don't have this laser focus. And yeah, I mean, you know, I was signed to Epic Records and um, Tom Dow did my first record and I got dropped. The record came out in August. I got I got dropped by the end of September. It was literally it was like one of the one of the perfect storm over at Epic where it was Tommy Matola's 
kind of last part of his contract. And it was one of the first times in, 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 in Sony music's, you know, past 10 years um, that they, they, they suffered a loss, a quarterly loss. So they just jettisoned anything non-pop. Everybody had to go. I mean, I was on there with Papa Chubby, G Love and Special Sauce. Um, there was a bunch of, you know, people, Keb Mo was, was on, on the same label I was on. And, and, and it just, it just was like scorched earth, you know, but that's so typical of New York music business in the late nineties. It was like, if you were selling, you were doing great. If you, you had the big page and, and an R and R magazine, you had a full page, you were that, you were somebody, you know, right. you got a quarter page, you, you were, that was just them showing you that you will eventually be dropped or they you got say, the ad to be dropped. Yeah. Right. Or you got the ad, uh, where you were lumped in with four other artists on the same label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like, you didn't have your own space. You were like, you know, you were sharing a line with three or four other artists at that time. Those are all indicators of the level of commitment the label had to you at the time. Yeah. And I still have an R and R magazine. Um, that uh, I shared the ad a quarter page with a Sony classical artist. It was like a <laughs> violinist. I'm like, I'm like priority. I am not. <laughs> yeah. That, and by the way, again, again, I, I always have to keep this in mind because you've been in the industry forever. So have I the people listening that don't understand some of these references. So there back in the time Joe's talking about, there were these radio trade papers that were very influential that program directors would actually get delivered every week and radio uh, record companies would take out ads showing what other stations were playing the record. And it still happens online, but it was a very important thing. And the size of your ad, and if it was black and white or color, or if you were with other artists or you had your own front page or you had the back page, there were magazines like Album Network and Radio and Records and Hits and all these things. And that placement would sort of be a, uh, an indicator as to how committed your label was to breaking you and what a priority you were to them. And uh, I don't know how much of that stuff still exists, but if it does, it's probably online at this point. It's definitely online, but it was, it was definitely, it, it was the last of the original, like, big bloated music business. You know, yeah. records were selling, you know, things, you know, budgets were Budgets were, you know, out of control. I mean, even I, I mean, my first solo record had $125,000 budget. That's crazy now, you know. Right. Um, Warren Haynes has a great line that he used when, he, when I interviewed him. He goes, in the last 20 years, you just drop the zero at the end, and that's pretty accurate where, where we all stand. <laughs> you know, if you used to make records for 300000 now it's 30000 30. If you used to selling 300000 it's now 30,000. Right. And it's true because it's like, I, I have a CD player in my car. That's it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the physical model of record sales, you know, and I know now everybody today is posting their Spotify numbers. The, it's the yearly humble brag going, how many streams, how many listens? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's where it's at, you know, and, and mm-hmm. streaming is the future. And, and I feel sorry for the songwriters and I feel sorry for a lot of artists who rely on mailbox money to, to survive. But it's, it's, you know, once the, once the cat's out of the bag, it's not coming back in. You can't just force people to go back to the record shops and go, Oh, we're, we're selling CDs again. You know, it's, yeah. it's too convenient to just point and click. 
Yeah. Well, I think I, I think CDs, vinyl, all that stuff will exist to people who really want it in a niche specialty sort of way. But yes, the glory days, having grown up in a record store of uh, waiting, you know, people waiting outside the gate for the gate to swing open so people can come rushing in and buy records in droves and, and have that big day, that appointment. I got to get to the store and get this record. Unfortunately, uh, th- that whole relationship with how people get music has obviously changed. And I agree, probably not coming back. So I got to take a break. We have the hour with Joe, which is great because, you know, and I'm just, look, I'm just touching on the broad strokes and the time we have of this documentary, but obviously Joe persevered through all these hits that he took early on of things not working out and ended up partnering and found a great manager to this day, who is still his partner on all this stuff and went out and said, I'm going to get this done and make it happen on my own. And my goodness, did he? And it's a, it's a remarkable story. And again, it's all chronicled in this documentary called Guitar Man. We'll get more into it when we come back from the break. But Joe, before I go to the break and we get into that, for people who want to watch this, when is it actually coming out? Is it next week, the actual release next date? Week. Yes, December 8th. And it's, uh, and it's being uh, distributed by Paramount Pictures. I, I still can't believe it when I see, when I see the opening. It's, it's a Paramount movie. My God, <laughs> you know? Jeez. And how are people going to be able to see it? Do they need to go to a streaming service, or is it like a paid rental thing? Where do they? Or is it in theaters? How do you see it? It's not in theaters. Um, we missed the. It, it, it's not a time to put things out in theaters. It's too expensive, and nobody's going to movie theaters. I mean, if this was a year ago, yes. Um, but uh, it's it's on all the streaming sites. It's going to be uh, you. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on you know Hulu or whatever. I, you know, I can I can get a list of where it's all. You know, All right. So, yeah, well, people just get online and find it and search for it. But the 8th, you said, is the release date. On, uh, December 8th. It's it's worldwide December 8th. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting. You got to see it. It's it's fantastic. And, and uh, there's m- so much more to talk about in the documentary and in Joe's story and his career. We'll cover what we can when we come back from the break. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Blue Chew. Got a hard time taking pills? You're not alone. Get the Sildenafil and Tadelafil chewables by visiting bluechew.com. Yep, that's the same active ingredients, folks, that is in Viagra and Cialis. Guys, don't want to deal with uh, awkwardness? Maybe you want to make sure you get that little extra edge, little something for you and your partner. Chewables from BlueChew.com. They're made in the USA. They are chewable. And it only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician. And if you qualify, you get prescribed online quickly. Online physician consultation that's free. So it's cheaper than the other two, and it's chewable, and you just do it online. Make sure you check it out. And if all of that's not enough great incentive, cheaper, you can take them on an empty stomach, you do it all online, it's an affiliated physician, uh, you you know, active same active ingredients as the stuff you hear advertised constantly on uh, TV and radio. All great, right? Here's a better deal. 
Go to BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K. BlueChew, B-L-U-E, Chew, C-H-E-W.com, promo code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K. If you need a little something extra, little extra edge for your trunk, <laughs> I couldn't resist. BlueChew.com, five bucks shipping. BlueChew.com, promo code TRUNK. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We're back with Joe Bonamassa. Guitar Man, the documentary on Joe's career up to this point, is available everywhere, as you just heard, on December 8th. I highly recommend it. My audience knows how much I love and talk about documentaries, and this one was really, really good. And it's not not just saying that because Joe's a friend and I appreciate his work. It's really, really a great story. And as Joe said, I think inspirational as well. So many people listen to this uh, show or ask me about you know, being a musician and what it takes these days and how do you do it and what what's the path. And as you'll see, Joe took a pretty interesting path, which was, you know, where, where a lot of things started coming against you. I, I, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you really finding your manager, uh, Roy Weissman was really mm-hmm. in his belief in you and saying, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to find a way to do this. I mean, having somebody like that in your life and in your career that you trust and that you basically built a partnership with that exists to this day, I would think that was a really, really pivotal point in your, in your career. Absolutely. You know, um, Roy's been my manager for 30 years and he, he discovered me, he, his family discovered me. I was on a television show called real life with Jane Pauley. This was in the early nineties. It was before Dateline NBC. It was before, and it aired Sunday night at eight o'clock on NBC. And it was like a 20 minute, like mini documentary about this little kid in upstate New York playing phone rings off the hook. They look us up in the phone book, right? You know, Columbia records. And you know, it was crazy. We're just simple folks from upstate middle class. And um, yeah, my manager, you know, he and his family drove up and, and they flew up to New York and they drove up to our house, which is about three and a half hours from the city. And we've been together ever since. And initially, we took a very traditional path, you know, major label and, you know, that, you know, you, you needed a major label with the marketing machine and the dollars that went behind it. And when that kind of didn't work out, you know, either with EMI or, or Sony, um, we decided to basically take the same principles that they would use with any artist and apply them to ourselves with whatever budget we could, you know. And we started with an album we made in New York City for $10,000 called Blues Deluxe. And we would sell it out of the back of our car. And we got a small distribution deal out of a company in Florida. And the record started to get a little more traction. But instead of taking all the money back, we ended up putting the money back into the company. We reinvest. And that's been our whole model ever since. You know, it's like it's like the amount of marketing dollars we put in to our shows, to our records, to just about everything we do. Um, and and it, it, it helps to, ex, you know, accentuate the organic build, but it also keeps the, you know, keeps air in the balloon. And that whole model was really, you know, he, Roy came up with that. 
and and we've discussed it at length and how we reinvest almost weekly in ourselves and 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 if you were to put a slogan behind the movie is is bet on yourself and chances are it'll work out because not a lot of artists are willing to bet it all on themselves you know and and you see the moment Along those lines, there's a really pivotal, there's a a big moment in this documentary on the arc of your career, and that is your ascendance to the point where in England, you are going to headline the very prestigious Royal Albert Hall. And what's amazing to me about that, which of course happened and it's documented and you've played it, uh, I'm, I'm assuming many times since. But what's amazing about that is the first time you're going in there to play this incredibly historic, amazing venue, you you are having money problems. Like the 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 scene is set where like you are like the, the, yeah. it struck me as crazy that here's an artist who has ascended to this point that you've got such a fan following that you're playing this incredible hall that's a large hall with a lot of people as a headliner, yet you also, the other side of that as presented in the movie is like, you're not sure if you've got the money to even, you know, get out of there, you know? So how did that come to be? All right, so, you know, a lot of times when you look at your favorite, like some of your favorite artists and people that are, that are, and you, and you start trying to count their dollars. Okay. Be like, Oh, Oh, look, look at the venues that this guy's playing or this, 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 this acts playing and blah, blah, blah. They must be gazillionaires. It's not like that. And, and because what happens is, is if you go in a traditional route, you have a promoter, you have a manager, you have a, an agent, you have band crew, everything to pay for, all of that comes off the top line before you you see any of it. You know, yeah, there's there's a lot of managers that hey, you want to blow some stuff up? No problem. Call the pyro, py- call Pyrotex in in Nashville. You know, and then you go out and do this big tour in front of a lot of people, and you're going, man, you know, this this plane is nice. You know, this it's so much better than the bus, and certainly better than the van. This plane is wonderful. And then you come home and then you find out you owe people because what you never accounted for was all the percentages off the top line. Then you start paying. So you're starting with 70 cents on a dollar and then you start paying off the bills. And what we were doing at that time, we were, we were getting into promoting our own shows. So we were putting all of our money into promoting our own shows. So in some ways it was for savings, but a lot of times you had to outlay, a, not a lot of times, all of the time, you have to outlay a lot of money to promote your own shows months in advance. And it doesn't come back until you actually play those shows. So when we, we did the Royal Albert Hall, the budget to film it properly was $250,000. We didn't have $250,000. We didn't have even close to that. So we went to Citibank or we went to some bank. I don't want to name them, but we went to Citibank. And it was, we had a, had a track record of sales. We had good credit. We were, we were, you know, we paid our bills on time. And, and it was right after the financial crisis where banks were not loaning money. So we were trying to get a a bridge loan to, to, to just film the DVD so we could put it out. And, um, and they offered us 25 grand. I remember. And we were just like, no, thanks. Like some like, like Shylock, 
you know, Brooklyn Shylock <laughs> rate, you know, and, um, and, and anyway, we just said, uh, Roy and I just said, okay, you know what? We're not going to make anything for the next two tours. We got to do this. If it's the beginning of the beginning, so be it. If it's the beginning of the end, we go out like champions. No problem. And we went, we literally pushed every chip we had on the table and then rolled the dice. Bet on yourself, like you said earlier. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. And it was the closest we ever came to going out of business because when the DVD came out, it didn't explode originally. I mean, it was, it, it was selling pretty well, but DVDs, you don't really make a lot of, of the money back. It's more of a promotional tool. Till PBS in Albany asked for an hour cut to run as their pledge drive and then exploded across the country. And then it was, it was an unbelievable sea change. But it all goes back to that one conversation that my manager, Roy, and I had about what do we do here? You know, do we film it where it looks kind of cheap or do we just go all in, do it the right way? And if we go out, we go out swinging and 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 so be it, you know, because, yeah, we could have done it for less, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have had the gravitas. Plus, I knew my friend Eric was coming that night. Well, I was like, you got to do it right. I mean, it's like it's like, what the hell? You know, it's like it's like I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. Now I look back and it just was like an easy decision to make back in those days it was not it was much more involved because rent was due and and you know you know salaries for the band and this this infrastructure that we had just started to put together you know cost a lot of money so that's important for people to know so joe's friend eric is eric clapton who comes out so so really if you think about it safe to say joe that that performance that night at the Royal Albert Hall that was really you know in so many ways a really pivotal turning point in your career because you're playing you you had built an audience at that point big enough you could play that venue to begin with right. finances aren't great um you throw all the chips on the table oh and by the way Eric Clapton's coming just his mere attendance and then coming out on stage to play with you is almost like you know him giving you a a, a blessing so to speak like the holy water going on you so it all just capsulized in that moment didn't it it did and 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 you can see it on that dvd it's 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 the moment my life changed and i knew it i knew it and very rare are you aware of of situations that could be life-changing i was aware of it all day I go, this is it. This, this is, tw- at that point, 20 years worth of work, sweat equity and, and, you know, whatever, you know. And I said, it's all coming down to the next two hours. And, you know, one of the things I learned that night is when you get into those special situations, like you're, you know, you could, I could have easily let that venue play me. You know what I mean? Like, look, look at how it's just it's intimidating and then Mr. Clapton comes out even more intimidating and I just said here's the deal I am who I am I will always be who I am I can't change and I'm not going to change now after 20 years to to do anything different I just went out there and played and that was really to me a, a, a sea change moment that I can never repay Eric for the for a, a, the debt of gratitude that I owe him because because he 
he did that and he knew that that if he came out it would have it, it was the blessing that i needed to to shoot me out of a cannon especially in the uk and then in, and then it, what i didn't expect was um public broadcasting to embrace my next 10 years of my career so much and and you know run it as a you know because I'm, I'm the perennial you know you know it's it, it's it's for a while it was, it was myself and Celtic women. We were, we, we were the, we were the engine behind PBS, <laughs> you know, you like, they need money either on Bonamassa or the Celtic women. We're good. Or Trans-Siberian you know? Orchestra. My mom yeah, always yeah, will call me TSO. My mom will always call me. I just saw this wonderful band. You know, some of these guys, they have long hair TSO. You must know them. And anybody my mom sees on TV that they, if the artist has long hair, my mom thinks I know them. And, and honestly, most of the time she's right, but it's just, she, that's the one TSO all the time. And you know, it, it's, it was a perfect storm for me because at that time, cable and everything was changing. There was the, there was the era of 500, 700 channels, you know, and the difference between PBS and ABC in Los Angeles is the difference between channel seven and channel eight. There is none. So people are flipping through. And as you saw channels like it used to be um, Palladia, which then yeah. became MTV Live. And, and there was a live music channel. But now that's everything started to get very much live music was disappearing off the thing you know off the television next thing you know joe bonamassa live from the royal albert hall and people would watch and people would donate and and that's how it started to scale and i was like sitting there going i cannot believe this because it's unfolding you know all because you bet on yourself in one moment and, and it really does come down to a split decision making you know and you go with your gut you know, but that's the only thing I can ever tell an artist or anybody in any business. Just go with your gut. You know, you, it's gotten you this far. You know, don't overthink it. There's so much I can talk to you about. I love talking to you and having you on the show. Again, Guitar Thank Man you. comes out on December 8th. Watch it. You, you're going to love it. Um, it's it's just a great story and great music in it, too. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But real quick, I don't want to gloss over this. Clapton coming out. At Royal Albert Hall, just to me, when I think back now, while we're talking about the doc and I watched it about a week ago, it's just such, that's just such a huge moment. The venue, him being there, you mentioned you knew he was coming. How well did you know him prior to him coming there? How much had you done with him? Had you met him? You obviously knew he was going to pick up the guitar and play. I mean, how much, you know, what was the backstory to all of that with you and Clapton? I got booked to play um, a party at um, a Grand Prix race in the Middle East. And he was there. And I'm like this kid, just 31 years old. And there's Eric Clapton, your hero. There's George Lucas. There's Jackie Stewart. And the, all the credit for him coming starts with a guy named Paul Stewart, Jackie Stewart's son. And he, and, and he put the bug in Eric's ear about, coming to the Albert Hall, and he goes, Joe, write him a letter. I'll get him the letter. So I, hand, I wrote him a letter, and I left my email address. And I, get, I got Paul the letter, and he got Eric the letter. And months had gone by, and this was about February of 2009. I didn't hear back. I go, of course. He's Eric Clapton. He's busy. He's not coming to my gig. <laughs> fine, fine. He was very pleasant when I met him, and he was aware of me, which was enough for me to have live happily ever after. 
Next thing you know, random Sunday, I get a very strange looking email on a Blackberry. This is how old I am. And I go, I almost deleted it because I thought it was spam. And I look and he goes, happy to come to your Albert Hall show. Happy to play a song as long as the vehicle is uh, simple enough. And I go, holy crap, I know who this is. Then I had to respond and pick a song. So that's how it all started. And he, and by the way, the most punctual rock star in the world. He said he was going to be there at 4.30. He was there exactly at 4.30, not 4.31. It was almost like he appeared out of the ether. <laughs> So, his email address yeah, it, wasn't his email address wasn't like slowhand at gmail.com or anything was it no 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 it was very unobvious <laughs> yeah and uh, it was it was it was it was surreal you know and it still is surreal and i i i text him once or twice a year just to thank him again you know i i never abused that privilege and and yeah. and that and that friendship because because i listen He's aware that how much his music has affected a, a, a lot of us in, in our generation. And, and, and we grew up idolizing that guy from the very beginning, you know, and, and, and he's always pivoted the right way, come out with the right songs. And, you know, it's, what can you say? That's, that's why he's who he is. But I don't want to let the uh, time go by without, and I wasn't sure if you were going to feature this in the documentary, and I was glad you did because you know I love Black Country Communion, which is the yeah. band you have with Derek Sherinian and Glenn Hughes and Jason Bonham, which is another side of your playing and another thing you get to, you know, you exercise your your hard rock side a little bit in that. Um, the The attraction and the idea as your solo career ascends and the Royal Albert Hall and of course where it's at now although there was a funny point and there is something funny in the documentary where Kevin Shirley says Joe Bonamassa the most famous guitar player that nobody's ever heard of right <laughs> and, yeah, right. and that, t- that ties that ties into something that you, which we'll have time for we'll touch on you told me you're going to go back to LA to do which is pretty funny where right. you're actually going to go on a show where people are going to try to pick out who Joe Bonamassa is Love it. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a life. Listen, I always tell my people, I go, I'm an EF, you know, level celebrity. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's, we have license plates that say Bonahu. You know, it's like, it's, it's, that, that's what my car is. My license plate in my car is Bonahu. You know, but it, isn't it, it, it but, I, but Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I, th- I would think now I don't, I don't know you know, your own makeup on this. And I want to get something from you on BCC before we run out of time. But along those lines, I always thought if I was a musician, that one of the best scenarios would be the scenario you have, which is that you have, you've, you've made great money. You've got this great guitar collection. You've got a couple homes. You do things on your term terms. You play fantastic venues and all that. But you can also right now probably go to the 7-Eleven or get a loaf of bread and not be hassled and not have to put on a costume. So you really have the best of both worlds in, in a certain regard, don't you? Yeah, I do. And I'm very lucky for that. You know, um, I'm very lucky that my fans, you know, like, listen, if I go into a music store, I'll, I'll get recognized. Of course. Because, yeah. Yeah. You know, but 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 I know that. And but, you know, I, I would rather be that guy that that just that is unassuming and, and just like, it just, we're just two, two dudes talking, you know? And yeah. I, I never understood the, I never understood the barrier. Once people get some notoriety, they put up a barrier between them and the public. And it's almost like a burden. I'm like, I don't understand that. You know, it, it, and I never will because I'll never be that famous. 
And I'm happy. You just got to be happy with what you got. You can't, you can't, you can't go, well, so-and-so was nominated for this. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's like you do what you do. You do it with the best of intentions. And, and you basically try to maintain, you know, the quality and understand what your fans are there to see. And, and if you can do that, you know, but I do have to admit to you, Eddie, I, I, listening to the, 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 the opening of the hour, um, I do use a teleprompter. I don't know if this is going to affect our relationship. I, that I do actually to- doesn't bother me. I've actually said that a lot of times. It bothers fans, but I don't know why that's I don't write these promos, but that, but that right. doesn't bother me. Prompters don't bother me at all. I have no problem with that at all. The other stuff, yeah, but the prompters, I have no issue with at all. And I get it. I, I don't have a problem with that. All right. The so good because if you have a 75 or 80 song catalog, it's and you want to just throw out old stuff or whatever, it's it's good because not only is the are the lyrics in there, but the arrangements. And you'll see Anton and you'll see everybody like peering over at the at the teleprompter going, What's coming up? Who's soloing now? You know, it's just mm. It's a good, it's a good uh, guy. Anyway, never had an issue with it. That was just something that production guy took creative license with. I thought (laughs) he just made an assumption there. Um, Black country communion. The, the uh, there's a thing. And I I made a note about this, which I wanted to specifically ask you. So I'm going to check this right now. So with BCC, there's a point in the documentary where we talk about doing a tour with them, a nine week tour. And right. your quote in the documentary is, after two weeks, you were burnt out. It just burned you out. Why was that? Is that because uh, working in a band, you're obviously dealing with four people and views and personalities versus you being used to being a solo artist? Was was that where you were going with that? Was that what you were alluding to? Absolutely. It, it was a real adjustment for me. Um, and I, I take a lot of that responsibility because I... I forest trees you know i couldn't see the forest from the trees and and it, simply put it was it the 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 way the day was set up to get to the gig was was fraught with more steps it was more difficult to get on stage you know and okay it's fine you do that five so, shows six shows 10 shows nine weeks it, i was burned out by it and 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 it was you know one of the things that that I, I not being in a band I've never been in a band scenario I mean now I, I talk to people who've been in bands for thirty years and they just roll their eyes and just go case sarah sarah you know <laughs> it, it, the show always happens don't worry but like you know to me I was like this like like where are these people you know and but you know the one thing about Black Country Communion is when that thing fires on all cylinders there's no better. You know, and and it, you're just going, wow, this is what it's like, what it was like when when, you know, you know, Sir David and Sir Glenn joined Deep Purple and, and that fire. And you're like, oh, my God, this is this is this is big rock stuff, you know, in the 70s context. And, you know, it's I love that band. We were supposed to get together next month and and try to hash out some songs, but we're going to we're going to throw the ball down another year and, and look at January of 2022, just because it just makes no sense for us to, to, to get together, you know, um, yet. Um, and, and Glenn's doing great with the, the dead daisies, you know, Jason's doing great. They're just out of solo record. And, yeah. and we all, we're all still in touch and, and um, we will play again. I'm, 
confident of that because, um, you know, Glenn is just singing better than he's, which is it's crazy. crazy. But, yeah, it's um, bizarre. and, uh, you know, and, and writing great songs and, and that's, uh, that's, that's the, that's the end all be all, you know, I mean, that, that, that's a, it's a, it's a great brand. I'm glad the film touched on that because it, it was a, it was a, it initially a very interesting part of my life and had its ups, it had its downs, but I look back now almost a decade later going, you know, that was some, some of the best laughs and the, like the most fun I've ever had on the road was the tour that I said I got burned out on, but it was, it was just because I wasn't ready to make that move to going, I'm now 25% versus here we're gonna go on at eight o'clock fine let's do it you know right easy right 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 last thing i got it and i got 60 seconds you know what makes me crazy in this documentary you say on more than one occasion i'm fat i'm fat (laughs) and as a guy who really is fat i'm looking at you and going joe you are not fat but you maybe you were a little chubbier then but tell me now, because look, I'm half Italian, man. I grew up in a liquor deli store. I grew up programmed. You could never eat too much. How are you so not fat now if you were fat earlier? Okay, here's the deal is I've, I've had to lose a lot, of, a, a lot of weight twice in my life, okay, when I was a teenager and then when I was about 29 years old, okay? The problem is it's psychosomatic. You never see yourself the way other people see it. I still look at photos of me now at 175 pounds, and it takes a lot of effort to stay 175 pounds. But, but I look at photos of me, and I go, still a fat kid? Still a fat kid? And I know other people that have struggled with their weight, and they go, yeah, I can never see myself as, as, you know, as, as what, I, you know, what I really am. The scale is my best friend. I just I, – if, if I gain weight, I lose weight. That's it, you know? And, and – it's you got just, a regimen? You don't strike me as a big exercise guy. You, you like a running, hiking, weight guy? I don't think so, right? I'm you running, stop running from something. Yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> I just, I just deprive myself of calories. I'm a good calorie <laughs> counter, and I stick to about twelve or thirteen hundred calories per day. That's wow. Um, and it's, I got to talk to you about how you do that. I, I, we'll do this again soon. I, I, I hope. And uh, again, everybody, everybody check out Guitar Man. Great documentary on Joe Bonamassa. We just scratched the surface in the hour we just did. It's out everywhere December 8th. Thank you, Joe. Be well. We'll be talking soon. Well, love talking to that guy. I could talk to him for hours. I really could. Uh, just, uh, you know, we get going. And uh, he was nice enough to have me on his podcast. He has a he has an online YouTube video audio podcast which is um, also free, and it's called Nerdville. <laughs> and Joe had me on a, as a guest a couple, two, three months ago, so check that out. Look it up, and you can see Joe interviewing me, which was a real honor. And I thank Joe for letting me interview him, as you just heard, for the new documentary, Guitar Man, on his career. Again, thanks to SiriusXM, which is where those interviews come from. They originate live on my daily show, Trunk Nation, on volume on Channel 106. I hope you join me every day. If you're in the U.S. or Canada for my daily radio show, you're only getting a tiny taste here on the podcast. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She produces the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thank you for listening. I will catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode, the final one. The final one for the year 2020. Have a great Christmas, everybody. Catch you then.